Welcome back to Beauty Uncovered by Olaplex, your expert guide to beauty, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Danielle Frank, and on today's episode... A misconception about Botox is that once you do it, you can't stop. Once it goes away, you definitely do not have to maintain it. It's nice to try, and if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. What are your preconceived ideas about injectables? I mean, to be honest with you, with me, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of like Botox or Dysport or any of those, like neurotoxins, is a frozen face (laughs) that is stuck in a particular expression. The other would be injectables. And of course, the first thing you think of is, you know, the very blown out lip, which nothing wrong with that, but not necessarily something I'm interested in. But I can't help but be a little bit curious because during time, there's sometimes certain things that you're trying to draw attention away from, or you really want to enhance more, and you you get a little nervous. I mean, if those are the kind of results that you are constantly seeing being put out there in media, then it gets a little scary thinking about doing something like that to your own face. Well, with that, we are speaking today with Joanna, the nurse, who you can find on social media, Instagram or TikTok. The truth is, is that the work that she posts on there is downright inspirational. I can honestly say that I didn't realize you could do that with filler. And what I see is her creating solutions for people that are very natural and ultimately does not involve surgery, which is pretty incredible. So we're going to get the scoop on all kinds of injectables, the different ways that you can use it, how it can benefit you, and uh, yeah, maybe get a few tips and tricks that we can basically talk to our doctors about. So with that, remember, everybody's different. You want to always talk to your doctor about your situation, but I think you guys all know that. you got to make good decisions for yourself. But this is some really great information. So let's go take a listen. I am so excited. You're here today, Joanna. Thank you for joining (laughs) us. Thank you for having me. I am really excited because admittedly, I didn't know that aesthetic nurse was a thing. Okay. When I was in nursing school, I had no idea about it. So I so <laughs> I have to admit, someone that is a fan of your social media was asking me what made you, because she's a nurse as well. She wanted to okay. know what made you choose this path, like okay. going into aesthetic nurse and what were you hoping to really be able to put out there? Absolutely. So I graduated nursing school some years ago. I can honestly say they never taught us anything about aesthetic nursing. I didn't know it was a thing. I just kind of associated aesthetic nursing with plastic surgery, pretty much. Right. I always wanted to do actually pediatric oncology. That's what I initially went into nursing school for. That's what I did all my volunteer hours at. I It's a big passion of mine. However, when I graduated nursing school, I started working for a plastic surgeon. I started working first in the operating room, so the OR. But then at that time, they just needed an aesthetic nurse. So I started doing some injections here and there. And then... I think it was also the timing of just everything where it just exploded, like aesthetic nursing. And it kind of came in time with the peak, I believe, of social media. So both of those combined together really is what started it all. And it kind of got the ball rolling. And with that came a little bit more patience, things like that. And then I just 
fell in love with it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, and when it comes to all this, if any of our listeners has a chance, go take a look at her social media because I have to be honest with you. I mean, obviously we've all heard of different kinds of injectables. You know, there's Botox, there's fillers, there's, I mean, granted Botox is a brand, but you know, there's different types of injectables and whatnot. But I have never, like you hear about the lips for fillers. You hear maybe a little bit about the labia fold or, or maybe filling out like some really deep wrinkles, but you don't see as much completely reshaping features like your nose or your jawline. I mean, is this something that was always done or is this something that you developed over time? I actually think that initially, again, back in the day when I was in nursing school, people used injectables more so for corrective work. So for those deep lines, for those deep wrinkles. Uh, However, now I think a younger generation is definitely starting to get in tune with injectables and they're using it more for enhancements. It's not like they have deep wrinkles or anything like that. However, they do want to get slightly bigger lips. They want to have, you know, a slightly straighter nose. They want to have more defined cheekbones. So it's not addressing volume loss necessarily like it once was. I think now this new generation is using it for a completely different set of wants, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it makes complete (laughs) sense. I actually was reading something that you wrote. It said, you know, doing the injectables, it's usually to enhance features, not necessarily change them. And so often when we think about injectables, we think of like, you know, duck lips, you know, not that, I mean, if that's what makes you happy, that's what makes you happy. And that's yep. fine. <laughs> but like, say someone like me, I, I have a long standing joke in my family and my friends that I have my father's lips, which will eventually disappear into a line. So I often get around about like, I would love to do something like that. But the fear is that extreme, you yeah. know, for someone that just wants to look more like myself you know, how, I think this comes to a conversation, you probably your consultation with your clients. Can you walk us through what that's like? Usually what are your earmarked things that you're looking for? Yes, of course. So initially when somebody comes in for their first time ever getting injected, one of the first things I usually hear is, I don't want to look overdone. I want to look very natural. I don't want duck lips. You know, my boyfriend, my husband does not want me doing this. Those are really common things I hear pretty much with everyone who's first time it is with me, I guess. And I can tell you that usually what I say is that one syringe is a fifth of a teaspoon. So just to put into perspective, it's like the size of a blueberry. So I always say, yeah, it's a lot smaller than what people initially think it's going to be. So I always say, I hate to disappoint you, but instead of giving duck lips, a lot of times people end up actually wanting more simply because the results are not as much as they thought it would be, which for the majority of people, they're very happy with. They didn't want it to look unnatural. However, I will tell you, I have a pretty nice percentage of people that come back for more simply because they ended up you know, being surprised by how natural it all looks. So I think when people see injectables and they see that overfilled face, they see the duck lips. I know there's a lot of filters on social media that have like really enhanced everything. You know, and it's a very exaggerated look of fillers. I think that when they see that on social media, 
that's their perception of injectables. However, when they actually come in, they see the syringe, I walk them through the process. I think they usually get over that fear of looking overdone and then they, you know, get hooked on it. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I, I had heard somewhere before that some people come in and get certain work done and then they're like, the next time they come in, they're like, yeah, no, I want more. I wonder if it is about the social acceptance of it in their own personal circle. Because the call out that I, from what you said was about how boyfriends and, and husbands are saying, oh no, I don't want you to do it. I guess that's how you wonder why. Like it, I mean, aside from the fact that it's not for them, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of boyfriends, nothing against boyfriends, husbands, partners, or anything like no. that. But I do think that they have in their minds an image of how they think that their significant other is going to look afterwards. And they're worried about change, you know, for them, for better or for worse. So a lot of times, especially before COVID, I would have a lot of significant others come into the room with their significant other. And sometimes wow. it would be harder because the whole time I'm doing the consultation, the significant other is just staring at me, glaring at me. <laughs> wow. Anything. And chances are, you know, a lot of times they don't need much, but you know, they're coming in, they want something. So for me, my job is to make sure that they are a candidate for it, that they will benefit from it and that most likely they will love their results. So that's my job. So when we go back to what you were talking about, when it comes to like, I guess it's contouring, isn't it? I mean, when you're thinking about, like I said, the obvious thing is usually, oh, your lips filling in any kind of like wrinkles or filling that kind of volume. But you see more and more people putting it through their cheekbone, their jawline to contour it, the nose, which I still, I'm sorry, that blows my mind because it's literally about looking at someone where they almost have a certain shape and you're able to, it looks like plastic surgery. Some can. (laughs) So is it, I, I wonder if this is like a route that more people are going simply because, I mean, who really does want to go under the knife? You know, I do see that, especially with my patients. They'll usually either say like, oh, I've always wanted a surgical rhinoplasty, but I was always scared of not liking it. I was always scared of going under the knife, of just being put under in general. So they usually use this to kind of try it out. Some of the times the people, they like it so much that they just kind of maintain that, the filler results. But most of the time, people, they just either use it, they just have like a small little like indent or anything like that. So it's a nice alternative to plastic surgery. It does not replace plastic surgery. However, for a lot of people, it is a nice little alternative for them to have. I How always long say does something people. like that last? It depends. It depends on the patient. It depends on the filler used. But sometimes I'll see the nose lasting about a year, 12 to 18 months. Sometimes I'll see it lasting like two to three years. I have seen that in quite a few of my patients. They'll come back for a touch-up about three years later. They'll show me their before-before photos. So it's always nice to kind of see that baseline point. Yeah, it just varies. Fascinating. I mean, because I'll be honest with you, I've had a few friends when I was younger that talked about getting nose jobs, whatever it may be. But the fear is that you get it done and it is not what you want it to look like. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's permanent. You know, it's like, that's scary. (laughs) That's like a commitment, like a marriage. You know, yes. When it comes to that, how do you determine? 
with someone that's coming in for something like that, a contour, something that has to do with jawline, chin, I was very impressed with seeing a difference between, you know, someone that has a recessed chin as opposed to getting something that's a little bit more substantial. How do you gauge what's right? I mean, the way I see it, you have to be somewhat of an artist to be able to understand the balance and the symmetry on top of using the tools. <laughs> yes. So usually when a patient comes in, they'll come in and right when I see whatever they want to get done, I'll look at it and I'll let them tell me what they want changed or enhanced. I always let them talk first usually. And then I'll either agree or I'll kind of tell them my thoughts on it. And that way, the patient and I, we are on the same page before I start injecting. However, usually right when I see a face, I can kind of decipher what they will most benefit from, usually. And I never like to overdo anything. I usually start off very, very small with the amount of syringes I use, just simply because first off, it's not cheap. It really is not cheap. And second off too, it's not permanent. You can dissolve it and it will naturally go away on its own. However, I don't want to load people up with fillers. I don't want to shock them or anything like that. So I do usually start off small, but then I advise them. They probably will want a little bit more. (laughs) So what's the downtime of that? I mean, I I know that it's not like you can get an injection and then you can go home and do whatever you're doing, but what is it? Because I know there's like swelling particularly in the lips, they're swelling and and maybe a little bit of discomfort. How long before it kind of settles into where it's supposed to be? Yeah. So I always tell my patients, expect bruising and definitely expect swelling. And if you don't get either of those, consider yourself lucky. The face is so vascular. So bruising is always a risk. However, I will say the most majority of my patients they usually walk out looking pretty good. (laughs) You know, the lips are very vascular. So I always say the lips will most likely bruise and will most likely swell. However, everything else usually looks pretty good. I would say at least 24 hours after. I usually say give it two to five days of if you have an unfortunate event or anything like that, wait at least that minimum. If you have a very important event like your wedding or something like that, I say always wait at least two weeks before, you know, getting infected. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, beyond doing something like filler or something like that, then there's also Botox as well. Yeah. Well, okay. I say Botox, but is there a technical term outside of... Yeah. Nobody says Botox. (laughs) Botox. You know what? I always say Allergan for the makers of Botox. They really got that name down. Oh, yeah. Right. Even me. Anytime I'm talking about any toxin, it's called a neurotoxin. I usually say Botox too. And I think most providers do the same thing. There's Botox, which is by Allergan. There's Dysport, which is by Galderma. There's Zeman, which is by MERS. There's Javo, which is... um, I can't remember who makes them, but there's quite a few. I will say the industry leaders are probably Botox and Dysport. However, yeah. Zeman is fast approaching. I mainly use Botox. So at least we can easily say Botox then. <laughs> you know? So when someone comes in and they're saying they want Botox, like as a woman that's 49, I'm okay. always stunned when I hear friends that are in their 20s saying, oh yeah, I'm going to go get Botox. And for me, I'm like, dude, you you look fantastic. Why do you want Botox? But they're saying it's for maintenance or to preventative. 
Preventative Botox is a term I hear a lot. A lot of my clientele is on the younger side. So they're in their 20s, they're in their 30s, and they are doing Botox. Typically, some people like to call it also baby Botox, which is where they use a slightly smaller amount of units to kind of just soften up the lines. So with Botox, typical areas done is the frown, which is right here, the forehead and the crow's feet. Those three areas are my most popular areas, but also areas that are becoming a lot more popular, especially for that younger generation, include the masseter. The masseter muscle, it's amazing to inject Botox. And side note, it's great. So if you grind your teeth, if you have TMJ, a lot of dentists actually recommend doing Botox in the masseter. Yeah, it's amazing. It was actually the first ever injection I ever got done. But Does it do anything to your face when you're doing something? Because I mean, I I have a son that grinds his teeth and it's it's a big problem. So usually the best way to tell is if you are a candidate for it is when you bite down and you feel right here. And if it pops out a little bit, chances are you would benefit from Botox in the masseter. I've been doing it for, gosh, like 10 years. And it actually slims the face too. So I don't really have grinding problems to be issues, but I do really like that slimming effect that it does give. And it kind of makes your cheeks look a little bit more contoured and it kind of breaks this muscle down a little bit. So it kind of shrinks it a little, but it also helps. That's interesting. Right. It's amazing. (laughs) I never, I mean, I've heard people using Botox for migraines, you know, that I I didn't know of. And that's usually across the forehead. It's like an extra benefit. (laughs) (laughs) And then I've heard of people getting it right above their upper lip. Yes. And so typically that's for a Botox lip flip. And what it does is when people have that inverted lip where it kind of tucks in a little bit, you can say, and if you flip your lips out with your finger, and if you see a lot of lip hiding underneath there, you might be a good candidate for a Botox lip flip. And so what it does is kind of everts the lips a little bit like that. You can also use it for a gummy smile. So when you smile, if you have a lot of gum showing, you can also use Botox to kind of drop the lip a little bit. One of my personal favorite ways to do Botox is in your chin. So if you have chin dimples, which I definitely have, basically a good way of telling is when you, like you're going to kiss someone. Mm -hmm. So if you like pucker your lips and if you see little dots or when you smile and you see these little dimpling, that's if you're a good candidate for Botox in the chin. So that's also something I've been doing for years. I have major dimples in my chin. So I love it. It also kind of relaxes the chin too. So it's really commonly used for people that do have, like when they close their mouth and their chin's just really tight. It's hard to describe, but Botox would benefit that. And it also relaxes that. So yeah, Botox I, I actually <laughs> find all of this really fascinating. And I always kid around like I have had forehead lines. Okay. Like I actually looked at my wedding pictures when I was 23 years old with my ex-husband. I had them then. Why? Because I am like really uber expressive. Yeah. So what do you say to people that have concerns that they're going to like look like they're not expressive frozen. or yeah, frozen? So I tell them that usually it looks, you still have a little bit of movement. Yes, especially if you do the proper dosing, it will be nice and tight. However, like you can see, like I have it done. (laughs) And you can see that my eyebrows are still moving, but you can see that my frown, I don't really have those vertical lines like I did before having 
the Botox. Mm. So usually Botox will last about three to four months. That is the duration given by the company. So usually my patients, I say, come twice a year, come three times a year for a little bit of maintenance. We don't have to do a lot, especially if you are worried about looking frozen, but it does help or preventative. A misconception about Botox is that once you do it, you can't stop. I hear that all the time, especially for people. It's their first time doing anything. They say, I'm scared to do Botox because I'm scared that I'm going to have to keep doing it. I'm like, no, actually, once it goes away, you definitely do not have to maintain it. However, most of the time people do end up liking the results. So they do like to maintain. But even if you do it for two years straight and then you stop doing it, you're totally fine. If anything, I say it helps the lines over time because you aren't able to make those movements where you're creating those wrinkles. So I say overall, it does help. So it's nice to try. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. <laughs> so we talked about the people that are doing it as preventative. They're young. They're yeah. This is keeping them from creating the kind of wrinkles that do come May at 23. <laughs> Maybe I needed it back then. But what about people that are older and they already are having issues already. They're showing the signs of everything. What do you normally recommend? I mean, do they, if they already had the wrinkles and they got the little crow lines and everything, do they, they're not going to benefit from Botox because it's already there? They definitely will because their muscles will be frozen or paralyzed, they say, in a way where they cannot continue to create that crease. However, I say, if you have lines at rest, So already, if you're not frowning, if you're not raising your eyebrows, but you can see those lines at rest, chances are the Botox will soften those lines up. And if you continue maintaining it, it probably will eventually diminish quite a bit, but it's not going to make it worse. If anything, you're going to just slowly kind of start improving it. But for that sense too, if they are a little bit older and they are really worried about aging, I always say you have to do a combination of treatments, which includes really high quality skincare. It includes sometimes lasers, like all of those treatments help sometimes too, depending on what their expectations are. Plastic surgery is also something that they can talk about. (laughs) So you currently do, yeah, I mean, you definitely obviously do Botox, you do fillers. Are there any other types of, what did you call it? It was neuro... Neurotoxin. Neurotoxin. We can just call it Botox. It's way I was going to say, or, or any other types of, I guess, injectables or anything else that you do. So other injectables that are commonly used are injectables on the body. And keep in mind that some of these I'm going to mention is off-label, which means it's not FDA approved. And that includes, you know, doing fillers in the butt <laughs> region. Oh. Yeah. So that's growing in popularity. However, um, I will say it's quite a lot of money, you yeah. know, for something, you know, more subtle than people think. You can do Botox in the armpit area, the hands, and that helps with sweating. So people that produce a lot of sweat. Let's see, there's also new injectables. One of them just got FDA approved for cellulite. So there's all different kinds of injectables and it's just a growing market, if that makes any sense. But for me, mostly I focus on the face. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you do any of the laser or anything like that? Or you stick to mostly the nurse aesthetic? I just do injectables. However, the office I work at, they do all the lasers. So for example, I just got this treatment for skin tightening on my stomach. I had two kids. So my stomach was really loose, especially around the belly button area. So it's called Morpheus and I just got it done. And I feel like I see good results. But I'll let you know. (laughs) I know, right? It takes a while. So there's all fun things. 
So if you were to talk to, like, if anybody here was to talk to you and say, you know, okay, so you're not aware near me. How do I find someone that is qualified? Because I mean, I feel like anybody can inject something, but it's like we were saying, it is a bit of an art. You have to have an eye for symmetry and really understanding how to use your, your tools, just like using a paintbrush or a particular type of paint. So how do you find someone that is right for you? And what kind of conversations should you be having with them to really vet them? Yeah, of course. So I think the first thing that people should do, especially if they live out of state and not near me, <laughs> I would love for people to come see me. However, <laughs> I do know people live really, really far. The first thing to do is ask around. I think an actual referral from somebody that has been treated by that provider is by far the best way of seeing if they are good or not. You know, they can hear like a first experience kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Also looking at reviews such as Google reviews or Yelp reviews. I like to say reviews can sometimes be a little skewed because if a hundred people have a great experience, chances are maybe two people write a positive review. However, if you have a bad experience, then they will absolutely write a review. That's how I look at all reviews with restaurants, things like that. But looking at Yelp reviews, Google reviews is a great way looking for people that have been injected by that same person. And also because we're in this day and age of social media, I think looking at their social media, looking at their before and afters is really, really good. When they get to actually meet that provider in person, I think looking at their credentials is really important. Looking at how long they've been injecting, asking them the right questions like what they recommend, you know, what kind of fillers they use. All of those things are really important to ask. However, I think the biggest thing is just finding people that have actually gone to that provider, looking at them and hearing about their experience. What kind of credentials should they have? So they should definitely first off be registered as all states have different regulations. I will say that, but they definitely should be like at least I believe a registered nurse, you know, at a bare minimum, they could be an NP, a PA. They also should be under a medical director Again, sorry, I guess that depends on the state. But in California, they should be under a medical director. Um, The place I work, there is always a doctor on site. Same thing with the last place I worked, always a doctor on site. So not all places do that. However, I like that. I think it provides that extra level of security because this is not a... There are risks involved with doing injectables. And I think people kind of skimp over that part. So I think asking about like their emergency protocol and all of that is really important. But yeah, they should at least be licensed. They should be, of course, getting their fillers and Botox from the actual businesses, things like that, such as Allergan, Galderma. So asking all about that is important. Can you tell me about the most challenging patient, I guess you would say, or client that you ever had that you were like, oof, but you were so happy with the end result, but it was like challenging. Like you were like, wow, this is going to be a big, vast difference. Yeah. So I can tell you that I think in this field, you obviously no names or anything, but of course, you know, you get a very unique blend of patients. Some of them are amazing and majority of them are, but I will tell you in terms of like actual challenging, just with what I'm doing, Mm. I remember I had a patient, she had her nose done, I believe two times and it wasn't the best possible results it could have been. There were a lot of things that she was really unhappy with. I think she got her nose done probably a while ago, like 10 years ago. And then I think like eight years for like the revision. 
For the non-surgical nose, there are definite risk involved, which is why a lot of providers do not do it. So I went over the risk with her. A lot of times when they've had surgery, I don't treat them because the risks do increase if you've had surgery done. However, with this patient, I did feel like I could. I treated her and she looked, it looked amazing. Her nose, it had like these random little you know? And so I just filled them very carefully, very strategically, and it looked transformative. And she said at the end, it was kind of what she wanted with her surgical results. So that made me really happy. So that was a really challenging case though. I remember it took me a long time to inject that. So what are the (laughs) inherent risks of doing that? So the risks include tissue death and blindness. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Those are That's big scary as a nurse. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I actually trained for a year before even doing noses. I didn't even think I was going to end up doing it. However, I started doing it. And then now it's one of my most popular procedures. I do let the patients know about the risk beforehand. It is very rare. We're not going to wood, but it's never happened to me, you know, and I pray that it absolutely never does. However, I do let the patients know the risk. But also, too, that is why it's important to have an emergency protocol to be going to an office that has, you know, a doctor on staff, a medical director, and an office that knows what to do. Because so many times I see smaller offices and there's just one person working, which is fine, you know, but it does help to have, like, the people there just in case. God so forbid. knowing that the nose in particular is a challenge, Right. Do you feel like there should be a certain, like if they were asking the doctor, you know, how long have you trained on doing rhino, whatever, no. <laughs> feller? <laughs> that, I like that. <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> how long should they have trained? Like what would you would say at least a year? I mean, you know, I think that kind of varies based on the provider and the practice. Everyone has different regulations on what they think is when they're ready to start injecting patients. But for me, for example, like I've done so many noses, so I'm not saying that the risk is zero. Absolutely not. However, I will say that the more experienced nurses in doing a specific area, um, chances are the more they know what to look out for, they know the high risk that comes with and that I would probably go to someone that has a little bit more experience like that. Like they treated a lot of patients and they have that support of the medical directors and all that. They're familiar with the anatomy. That's important. (laughs) That that is such a very important because I think it's important. It's really hard, you know, depending on where you're living to find someone that is experienced. You want to make sure that you're not going into a situation where, you know, you're the crash test dummy. Yeah, <laughs> you don't First want time. that. <laughs> yeah, that would stink. So I am like really grateful. Like I feel like I learned so much information. Um, did you? I'm kind of yes, nervous. I did. I'll be honest. I haven't gone on Zoom in so long, and um, <laughs> I'm not really good at like. I guess it's an interview, right? So um, I mean, it's okay. but in all honesty, <laughs> I mean, it's someone that's very curious. I almost say sometimes I feel like it's speed dating. It's like, so what do you do? What is it? <laughs> But no, seriously, I I often kid around. I said, I tried to do research on the topic that I want to talk about. 
mostly just to know what I need to ask, but I try not to too much because in all honesty, I want to, I want to learn just like everybody that's listening. We yeah. all want to learn from the experts. So thank you expert for telling us oh no, about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so honored to even be on here. Side note, but I love Olaplex. I remember my hairdresser gave me the number three to try. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I you, I washed my hair this morning to, and used Olaplex <laughs> just for this. I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a whole package. You get the, the yeah. Botox, you get the filler, you get the Olaplex. Pretty much. You're like a new girl. You're like a new girl. Thank you again for coming on today. Yes, I am honored. Never forget, everything you want to be, you already are. You are simply on the path of uncovering it. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Beauty Uncovered. To know more about Olaplex and its beauty technology, visit olaplex.com. You can also subscribe to get the latest updates on emerging beauty trends and innovation. Join us again next time as you continue to uncover your unique beauty here on Beauty Uncovered.